0: Welcome to another Growth Master's Federal podcast on growing your business in the federal sector. Your host is Shirley Collier, president and founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate and prosper in the federal marketplace by developing and executing data-driven business development playbooks, creating cost-effective information systems and coaching executives to success. This is one of a series of podcasts on the work and recommendations of the Section 809 panel, which was established by Congress in 2016 as part of the National Defense Authorization Act, with a mandate to review the DOD acquisition regulations and practices and provide recommendations to Congress for simplifying and streamlining the process. There's an introductory podcast to the series on the Scale to Market website, and if you haven't already done so, we recommend beginning with that brief overview of the panel, its makeup, history, process, and status. Information technology has changed dramatically over the past 20 years, and the commercial marketplace has changed along with it. Traditional hardware and software capital purchases and fixed price contracts have been supplanted by cloud computing infrastructure, consumption-based solutions, and pay-as-you-go services based on actual usage. The 809 Panel's IT acquisition team was tasked with developing acquisition guidelines that align DOD purchasing of technology products and services with modern private sector practices. New contract types that enable ad hoc, short-term hiring of IT professionals, incorporate a new fixed price resource unit contract type, and updates to the Klinger-Cohen Act are among the panel's recommendations, signaling sweeping changes coming to the IT acquisition guidelines and regulations. Shirley's guest for this important discussion is Nick Zapanis, a research analyst for the 809 panel's IT acquisition team. Nick is a former consulting director at Gartner, a nationally recognized speaker and author on government acquisition and contract issues, and as the founder and president of Zygos Consulting, provides acquisition support to government clients across the federal sector, including DOD of the Department of Justice. Get out your notepad and enjoy the podcast.
1: Hello, Shirley here. Our Section 809 panel topic today is the IT acquisition recommendations that were included in the panel's Volume 3 report. My guest today is Nick Saponis president of Zygos Consulting, whose role on the panel was a research analyst on the IT acquisition team. Nick was the lead author of several 809 panel recommendations, including the one we'll start with today. Welcome, Nick.
2: Thanks, Shirley. It's a pleasure to be here today.
1: It's a pleasure having you here. We'll start with the panel's recommendations regarding consumption-based solutions, which significantly impacts the way the Department of Defense will acquire modern information technology. This is important to many small businesses, of course, who operate in that arena. Let's start with the basics. What are consumption-based solutions?
2: Well, the most common example of consumption-based solutions, at least in the IT context, is cloud services. So whether it's software as a service, platform as a service, or as some people like to say, everything as a service, or X-A-A-S. Some people call it pay-as-you-go or buy-the-drink. Basically, these are all the same model in which the service is metered and you pay only for what you use, usually monthly and usually in arrears or after the fact. I'd also like to clarify that although our recommendation is focused on IT and uses cloud services as its primary example, the FAR changes that the panel recommended would apply to any consumption-based solution. So it could be drone surveillance, or it could be radiology in DOD hospitals, anything really. So more and more things are being sold on a consumption basis, and our acquisition regulations need to reflect this reality.
1: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So why did you decide to tackle this topic?
2: Well, early on in our research, the commissioner of the 809 panel that was leading the IT acquisition team that was Elliot Branch from the Navy, commented to the team that we, we being the DOD, know how to buy IT hardware and software, but we aren't very good at buying what he called solutions. And honestly, we had to think about that for a while. We weren't 100% sure what he meant. But as we digested it and got further into our research, we came to the conclusion that he was spot on. Many of the things the department buys don't fit neatly into the traditional FAR categories of supplies and services. They are really solutions, which is yet a third category.
1: So what I hear you saying is that as our tech economy has transitioned away from discrete technologies that you buy, maintain, and upgrade toward using such things as cloud computing and ride-sharing, for example, you discovered that the traditional way that DOD has procured what it needs to operate, its organization was also in need of a transition.
2: That's right, Shirley. The simple fact is that the marketplace, particularly in the technology space, has changed the way it sells, but the government hasn't changed its buying process. So we have a mismatch that makes it harder for the government to buy the latest solutions. And when it does, these transactions are sub-optimized because we're using yesterday's procurement regulations and procedures to buy today's solutions. One example is cloud services being bought under a firm fixed price contract. This is often the default behavior because the government considers firm fixed price to be the lowest risk contract type. But this logic doesn't work with consumption-based solutions for a couple reasons. First of all, how can we set a firm fixed price when we don't know how much of the solution will be consumed? This means we could be in a situation where we're paying for some portion of a service that we never actually used. Secondly, locking in a firm fixed price sounds great on the surface, But in reality, the marketplace is moving quickly, and many prices are actually declining over time due to technology innovations, competition, and other factors. So here's a situation where if we're paying the price we locked in last year, we may actually be paying more than the current market rate. So the bottom line here is that much of the conventional wisdom, if we can call it that, of traditional government procurement doesn't hold true in the dynamic marketplace generally or with consumption-based solutions specifically.
1: So tell us more about the specifics of this recommendation.
2: So the recommendation does a number of things to make procurement of consumption-based solutions look a lot more like it does in the private sector. Of course, we'll never be exactly the same, but there's a lot we can do to make it better. We recommended a series of FAR changes and one statutory change related to funding. So the FAR changes include creating a new subcategory of services in FAR Part 37, and FAR Part 37 is service contracting. So, this new subcategory would be called consumption-based solutions, as we've been discussing, and we provided a definition of consumption-based solutions, but importantly, also specified that traditional service contracting rules would not apply to these procurements in this new category of consumption-based solutions. We also said that consumption-based solutions must be measurable or meterable on a frequent interval, and that interval could vary depending on the specifics of the, the solution being procured. New services or features can be added to contracts for consumption-based solutions at the discretion of the contracting officer without conducting a new competition, provided the amount of these new services or features does not exceed 25% of the total contract value. The next FAR change that we recommended, moving to Part 16, was to create a new contract type called fixed-price resource units with a number of specific characteristics. So it would establish a fixed price per unit of measure as opposed to a, as we talked about before, a firm fixed price for the entire contract. That doesn't work. What we need here is a fixed price per solution or service that you're buying. And so this new fixed price resource unit contract type would actually do that. Under this contract type, you would also set a ceiling for the overall contract value against which consumption of those individual line items would be charged. This would be the preferred contract type for consumption-based solutions, And when used for those procurements, would not require any special approvals. This contract type would be permitted to be incrementally funded. It would also set a maximum unit price for each resource unit and capture price reductions when commercial catalog prices are reduced. So going back to the idea we talked about a few minutes ago, where market prices are declining, this would allow us to take advantage of and capture those uh, price reductions as time goes forward. And then, last but not least, this contract type would be permitted for use under the commercial item or service acquisition in FAR Part 12, which is acquisition of commercial items. And then the statutory change that we recommended is to permit up to 5% carryover of operations and maintenance, commonly referred to as O&M, funding from one fiscal year to the next to smooth out variation in actual consumption versus estimates. Five percent may not sound like much, but given the total o budget of the DoD, this should be more than sufficient for this purpose.
1: This all sounds very relevant. Give our listeners a specific example or a scenario that illustrates
2: this. Sure. Let's take the example of buying cloud computing capacity, often referred to as infrastructure as a service. Under the panel's recommendations, This buy would be made using simplified commercial buying procedures that are available for acquisitions up to $7 million. The contract would be structured with an overall ceiling, or not to exceed price, and individual line items would be priced using the fixed price resource units contract type that we just discussed. There could be many different line items, essentially the menu of services that could be consumed by the customer organization. The contract would be incrementally funded based on the estimate of services to be consumed, for example, $100,000 per month. The vendor's dashboard tools would allow the customer to monitor consumption and determine whether they are in line with their estimate or they're under or over-consuming. That could lead to providing more or less incremental funding going forward, with continuous monitoring of consumption expected to be conducted through the life of the contract. Vendor invoicing would be monthly, in arrears, and based on actual consumption. This is where our recommended process most closely resembles the way these services are bought and sold in the private sector. Additionally, if the vendor begins offering a new service that is useful to the customer, that service can be added as a new line item, allowing the government to quickly take advantage of innovations made available in the commercial marketplace.
1: So, Nick, I understand how technology is being sold in the commercial marketplace now, but why is the new contract type required or needed by by the Department of Defense?
2: Well, there are numerous ways these solutions are purchased today. For example, as other direct costs or ODCs on service contracts, or using the fixed price with economic price adjustment contract type, which was actually recommended in the General Services Administration's cloud buying guide. However, these approaches are not always compatible with the way commercial industry sells solutions in the marketplace. As I mentioned earlier, conventional acquisition policy assumes locking in a firm fixed price is low risk for the government, when in fact, for consumption-based solutions, it can result in paying for services not delivered or paying more than the current market rate due to declining prices. Our recommended fixed-price resource unit contract type would provide a standardized approach that is tailored to the unique aspects of consumption-based solutions. These characteristics include incremental funding, capturing reductions in market prices, paying in arrears, and explicit authority to use the contract type under FAR Part 12, acquisition of commercial items.
1: So how would the government prevent excessive consumption of these services or solutions and uh, potential Anti-Deficiency Act violations?
2: So some have expressed concern that, you know, an overzealous user could rapidly consume a disproportionate share of resources or even exceed an entire contract's available funding in a matter of hours or days with these consumption-based solutions. And although this risk does exist, it's extremely unlikely to be realized, given the management and monitoring tools inherent in modern consumption-based solutions. Leading cloud computing vendors provide a suite of tools for customers to manage services, with features like service limits per user account, usage and cost reports with forecasting, and configurable alerts. So tools like these will allow the government to take advantage of the rapid scalability of modern cloud services while minimizing the risk of unauthorized or unexpected overuse.
1: So it's the technology itself that will allow the government to make these modifications and and move forward. It prevents overuse and abuse from occurring because they have tools to monitor.
2: Correct. Essentially, you can monitor in real time and and you can set alerts and and things like that. So uh, the situation where you would vastly over-consume would be few and far between.
1: So the the government has um, existing service contracting rules. Why can't these types of services be procured under them?
2: Technically, they can. However, service contracting rules were not developed with consumption-based solutions in mind. Service contracting rules are geared towards people, or labor, performing tasks, and things like wages, rates, headcount, and progress reports. Consumption-based solutions are just a different animal, where labor is not the dominant feature, and measurement of contract performance is purely based on the solution itself, not how many bodies are enabling that solution. So the back end that makes the solution work, including the people, hardware, software, it's essentially a black box to the government customer. Therefore, applying service contracting rules to consumption-based solution procurement is putting a square peg in a round hole.
1: Now, many small businesses are in this space. How might this recommendation change the way small businesses resell cloud services, for example? Sometimes they will wrap cloud computing services in with their consulting, cybersecurity training, and other offerings.
2: We certainly understand there are many variations and combinations of services out there, and our intent was not to create a one-size-fits-all approach. But we did account for combinations of services by including in our recommendation the following language, and I quote, agency-specific regulations, policies, and guidance regarding service contracting are not applicable to contracts for consumption-based solutions or hybrid contracts when the primary purpose is to procure consumption-based solutions. Quote.
1: Okay, good. So how would you describe then the benefits or advantages of FAR Part 37 to the government?
2: I would say the biggest benefit of our recommended changes to FAR Part 37 is they take away the ambiguity of whether to procure consumption-based solutions as a supply or a service by giving the contracting officer and their customer a third option that closely matches the way these solutions are bought and sold in the commercial marketplace. So in doing this, we simplify the process tremendously because we also eliminate the additional and often burdensome processes associated with traditional service contracting rules.
1: And so what are the benefits then to the small business community?
2: Well, keeping in mind this is a general recommendation intended to improve DOD acquisition overall and not specifically targeted at small business, I would say there's at least one major benefit to small business. That is, by simplifying the procurement process, we help level the playing field and blunt the overhead advantage many large businesses have. In other words, doing business with the government has traditionally been a very labor-intensive process that requires numerous experts in various quirky rules and regulations. Keeping all of these experts on staff obviously increases overhead costs, and many small businesses simply can't afford to do that. One of the benefits of this recommendation, and frankly, common thread in the panel's recommendations as a whole is to vastly simplify the process so companies don't need to have all those extra people just to do business with the government. If DOD wants to attract, you know, true commercial innovation, especially from small businesses, the simplification of the procurement process is absolutely essential.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. So what is your advice to small businesses who sell consumption-based services?
2: I would say uh, familiarize yourself with the details of the recommendation we've been discussing today and push your government customers to innovate and leverage as many of these concepts as they can, even before they're officially enshrined in the FAR. Um, little-known fact to some is that the FAR is clear on one thing, and that is that if it doesn't say you can't do it and it's not against the law, then you can do it. <laughs> uh, so we really need to push this idea of innovation and not, not waiting to be told how to do things.
1: I would agree with that wholeheartedly, um, Nick. I advise my small business clients to be familiar with various contracting options and not assume that the contracting folks that they're talking to are are fully knowledgeable. There is a way to recommend an approach that doesn't insult their intelligence. We need to take a break. My guest today is Nick Sapanis president of Zygos Consulting and lead author on several of the Section 809 panel's IT acquisition recommendations. When we come back, we'll be discussing additional IT acquisition recommendations. Don't go away, we'll be right back.
0: Today's discussion on the Section 809 panel's work on the DOD's Procurement of Information Technology Products and Services is brought to you by Scale to Market. And your host is Shirley Collier, Utilizing the proprietary Davie Business Development Growth Framework, Scale to Market partners with business owners and executives to achieve profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email Shirley at scollier at scaletomarket.com to to obtain your copy of the Davie Growth Framework. Growthmasters Federal is a nationwide community of growth-oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams, and the professionals who support them. The mission is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on planning and executing the most effective growth strategies in the complex, highly regulated, but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. Our podcast continues now with Shirley's interview of Nick Tzapanas on the Section 809 panel's work and recommendations on changes in how the DOD procures information technology and services.
1: Welcome back. Well, Nick, before the break, we were talking about the recommendations regarding consumption-based solutions. Can you tell me about the other IT acquisition recommendations the panel included in Volume 3?
2: Absolutely. Uh, The panel also recommended that DOD be exempt from the Klinger-Cohen Act provisions, and this generated quite a bit of media buzz.
1: Now, explain to the audience what the Klinger-Cohen Act provisions cover.
2: So, essentially, the Klinger-Cohen Act was and is an investment management process for information technology. So it outlines CIO roles and responsibilities related to acquisition of IT. It addresses the need for business process re-engineering. It first put in place a cybersecurity requirement, and it basically ended up driving a lot of the compliance activities around IT investments.
1: So what was the media buzz?
2: Well, there was one headline that said we recommended eliminating DOD CIOs, which is not accurate. Uh, In fact, the role of the CIO was strengthened in recent legislation with, with additional authority over IT programs and budgets. The fiscal year 2018 National Defense Authorization Act requires CIO certification regarding whether a proposed budget is adequate and puts the CIO in charge of, quote, developing, adopting, or publishing Standards for all of the IT and cyber capabilities that run on the military services and defense agencies' networks.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you clarified that. (laughs) So, what was the panel's rationale for recommending that DOD be exempt from the Klinger Cohen Act provisions?
2: Well, we have a few different reasons based both on our research and just some simple facts of life. For starters, uh, Klinger Cohen Act, which we commonly refer to as CCA was written over 20 years ago, before the internet was really a thing in our daily lives. At that time, IT was considered a capital investment, so a lot of CCA is geared toward budgeting and planning a major investment. Fast forward to today, and IT is less often a capital investment and more frequently purchased as a service or utility. In today's marketplace, there are far fewer companies out there setting up data centers than there are leveraging cloud services from other providers. This is why the panel believes our recommendation on consumption-based solutions is so important. The IT delivery model has changed, so DOD needs to change the way it buys IT. Another thing that we observed, based on the team's individual experiences, as well as numerous interviews we conducted, is that the way CCA is implemented in the DOD, unfortunately, adds little to no value. It's implemented as a checklist process that usually occurs in the run-up to a major milestone decision rather than early on in the planning process. So this means it's usually too late to affect the strategy and really ends up as a rubber stamp at the end of a laborious paperwork drill. And then, last but not least, many of the concepts and requirements of CCA, which were new ideas at the time, are either standard practice today or are required by other laws or regulations, making them redundant.
1: So they've been overcome by events?
2: Essentially, yes.
1: Can you give us an example of one of those requirements that are now redundant?
2: Yes, absolutely. So CCA includes cybersecurity requirements, and some have said that without it, DOD programs won't complete the appropriate cyber planning. But in fact, cybersecurity requirements also exist in the Federal Information Security Management Act, or FISMA, uh, as well as FATARA, which is the Federal Information Technology Acquisition Reform Act, And last but not least, they are also included in DOD Instruction 5000.02, which is essentially the the primary acquisition regulation for the Department of Defense. So in in the DOD, a cybersecurity strategy is required as part of the program protection plan for all IT programs. So you can start to see some of the redundancy that we're talking about and where if if you didn't have that requirement in CCA, you still have multiple other places where it exists.
1: Yeah, we sort of got that covered. Okay, what else did the panel recommend in Volume 3?
2: I'll describe our third and final IT acquisition recommendation from Volume 3, but first I would like to mention a couple of related things. One is that the IT acquisition team started with a lot more than three recommendations, and as we dug into them and the panel deliberated them, we realized they were affecting more than just IT acquisition. So some of the recommendations that started out as IT ended up being more broad, and they are actually included in other sections of the panel's Volume 3 report. So a couple examples are Recommendation Number 74, which addresses redundant documentation requirements, and Recommendation Number 77, which addresses unnecessary security clearance requirements. And I would be remiss not to mention that we had some fairly significant IT recommendations in Volume 1, having to do with defense business systems, the investment review board process, and earned value management. Surely, I would definitely encourage your audience to check those out.
1: Yes, and we do encourage all of our listeners to read all three volumes, beginning with the executive summary, to get a full understanding of the scope and purpose behind the recommendations. Now, Nick, I also understand that volume three contained a recommendation regarding hiring independent IT consultants.
2: Right, and that's the third. IT acquisition recommendation that that I mentioned a minute ago. So what this one is, it's a recommendation to create a pilot program to allow for greatly simplified and very fast direct contracts with independent IT consultants. We'd eventually like to see this authority made permanent and expanded beyond IT, but IT was chosen as the initial focus area of the pilot because work in the IT discipline often requires quick reaction, unique experience with state-of-the-art technologies that are best provided by independent consultants. These consultants are hard to access within the limitations of federal hiring and contracting practices, and IT professionals don't always want to become full-time employees or navigate the complexities of becoming a prime government contractor or subcontractor. You know, you take someone who's used to working in the private sector and tell them they have to register in SAM.gov and read and understand a 100-page subcontract, with representations and certifications and lots of other things that they've never heard of, and you're probably going to scare that person off. They will say to themselves, why would I put myself through all this?
1: Absolutely. I agree 100%. You know, there are many highly qualified small businesses that operate in that arena.
2: Right. Highly qualified professionals frequently choose to work as independent contractors in the gig or freelance economy, and they often find work through online talent marketplaces. The government's got to be more intentional about following commercial innovation in managing its its workforce, beginning with IT specialists. So the bureaucratic government model no longer fits the way people want and need to work in the information economy. So this recommendation includes piloting an expedited contracting authority facilitated by an online marketplace tool with a qualified independent consultant list. So this strategy closely matches the approach taken by many commercial companies that leverage various online talent marketplaces.
1: That sounds great. But would there be controls to ensure competition and prevent abuse?
2: Yes. So the primary mechanism to achieve competition is actually the talent marketplace, which provides access to thousands of consultants seeking engagements. Existing controls associated with the government purchase card, including segregation of duties, are expected to be effective in preventing abuse. Additionally, the recommended changes to FAR Part 12 specify a process with built-in controls. And as an added benefit, I think it's important to to point out that under this pilot program, all of the contracts under the program would, by virtue of being one-person organizations, be small businesses.
1: That's a good point. Nick, as we wrap up, how would you describe the intended impact to small businesses of these IT acquisition recommendations?
2: Well, it's one word, but I'll say it three times. Simplify, simplify, simplify. <laughs> the overall intent of the panel's recommendations is to simplify the process of doing business with the Department of Defense, and I think that will help small businesses tremendously.
1: I would agree. Nick, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge on this important topic.
2: It was my pleasure, Shirley.
1: Folks, if you want to learn more about this topic, please reach out to me via email, our website, or LinkedIn, and look for additional podcasts regarding the Section 809 panel's recommendations. This is Shirley Collier, host of the Growth Masters Federal Podcast, signing off for now.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Whether large or small, if you're a DOD contractor, the 809 panel's work will affect your business. It's critical that you stay informed about this initiative and get involved in driving the outcomes. To find additional 809 panel interviews, along with information on how to contact relevant government and non-government organizations involved with the panel's work, visit our website at scale2market.com, that's scale2market.com, number two, market.com, and click on the Section 809 panel link. For more information on how to grow your business in the federal marketplace, Subscribe to the Growth Masters Federal channel wherever you get your podcasts. And join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal presentation.